Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Grow and Fortify, known for their work with the Brewers Association of Maryland, the Maryland Distillers Guild, and the Maryland Winery Association, is hosting Wonderland on Saturday, August 21st. Wonderland is the exclusive casual evening event that includes samples of local craft beer, wine, and spirits from nearly two dozen Maryland producers. The air at Ellicott City's Shrine of St. Anthony will be filled with the sounds of Caleb Stein. So, bring some chairs, grab a bite to eat from one of the local food trucks, and enjoy an evening in Wonderland. Passes are $55 and attendance is limited. Get your passes today at growandfortify.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the Uncapped Podcast. I'm your host Chris Sands and today I'm out in Hagerstown, Maryland at Antietam Brewery. I recorded an episode, I don't even know what year it was now, but it was probably at least three years ago uh, here. And as I pulled up, um, I, regretfully I haven't been here in a while, it looks like a completely different place. There's all kinds of cool new seating and stuff going on here. So I'm back visiting with Aaron Blessing the uh director of brewing operations or head brewer whichever you want to call him he'll answer to either title uh thanks for having me out aaron hey thanks for coming out chris i was because i almost always mispronounce everyone's name call you aa ron but i've been getting called aa ron ever since that comedian came (laughs) out yeah but then i figured that exact thing that (laughs) it probably is a tired joke for you (laughs) Usually it's only, it's my, you know, my best friends that call me that, so you know, <laughs> feel free. So you have been here two years now, or roughly? I've been here since September 2018. So, so I'm going to go with two going years because 2020 doesn't count. 2020, oh, <laughs> 2020 was a big year for us, actually. Well, I mean, yeah, like the brewing industry, no matter how many, like so many people will talk about like how hard it was on them, and I'm sh- I'm not saying it was easy for breweries, no. but so many breweries had killer years. Like they had great things happen for them or spent the year like really positioning themselves to shine, uh, in 2021. And as things open back up and it seems like Antietam is definitely in that category. Yes. The f- pretty much the first thing we did as soon as the shutdown started, even lift up was completely revamp our entire business model and the way that we were doing things the products we were supplying and and yeah all this new expansion that you see around that's that's part of the result of that so it's it was we you know i know not everybody did good so i hate to be like oh we did great but um no we i mean we found that uh our ability to adapt quickly and to meet the challenging challenges that were presented with us really um helped to boost us to get us you know where where we needed to be actually as a brewery and in a new and completely different environment because beer beer now is different than then everything's different yeah i well i think two two positives that have happened at least for beer fans is one there's so much good beer in distribution now because breweries were forced to upend their business models and put like focus on distribution again when even breweries that wanted nothing to do with that um and then outdoor seating everyone in in most places didn't just make it temporary most places put effort and thought into it and made nice attractive outdoor seating areas so it it 
now it's a big win for us craft beer drinkers. Completely. Yeah, we've uh, tripled the size of our outdoor seating, and like every brewery I know went out and bought a candy line. <laughs> so yeah. I, I definitely agree with you on that. So thankfully for you guys, you you already had all that. You were already a distribution heavy brewery because oh. I mean, Antietam's been around for quite some time, so... Yeah, we've been around since 2012. Not at this facility. It started off on yeah. a much smaller scale. But, um, no, whenever this hit, we already had the canning line set up. We actually even had a rectifier's license, which means that we can act as a... It's the same license as a mobile canner, so we can package other people's products as well. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I have friends with breweries that were basically filling up giant grundy tanks and shipping it to us so that we could package their <laughs> beer because it's like suddenly you know all, all these kegs weren't no one could sell anything out of a keg and and i was able to help out you know them you know just everybody just get together as a community which is one of the great things about being a brewer so it's a really strong sense of community and just you know try to do our best to make the changes necessary to keep beers in people's hands so is that is that a different type of license than being able to contract brew Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I, n- I never even thought about how you would need a license to just package. No, I've got a special we, tank and everything. Okay. I, I got to have a special tank. It's my rectifier tank. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so that seems um, like it would be a complicated process for a brewery to do that, or is it not that big of a deal just moving from tank to tank and then into... Uh, no, no, it's not that not not that difficult. If it comes up in a bunch of kegs, then it can be. It's a little more um, labor intensive. But I have, you know, I, you mentioned contract brewing. We do a decent amount of contract brewing, um, and I have the ability. For example, uh, if I'm working with a brewery, they want to contract a beer up here. So we contract, we make that beer for a contract. Then they make a beer at their facility that they would like packaged but don't have packaging uh, facility. So they would keg that up, send the kegs up. We'd put it into our special little tank, um, wash the kegs, and then can off the beer we made, keg off the rest and the kegs they sent, and then can off the beer that they sent. And now they've got all these extra products okay. for them to provide to the consumers. So Is, is that kind of just like a bright tank? Yeah, or, yeah, it's or, it's a it's a we got a little seven barrel bright. It's just this tiny little. Okay. It's a it's it's uh, instead of BT one, it's RT one rectifying tank one. <laughs> so, so is it like you just put it into there, uh, carb it, it up, get it to temperature, and then you can package it, or is yep. it? That's, it? that's all there is. Um, usually the beer's carbed. Um, usually I'll just just there is a carb stone in there, so if I need to sort of top off the carb a little bit. Okay. Then, yeah. And, and generally, you don't need more than seven barrels as a packaging run. That's, that's you know, 65 cases of 16-ounce cans. So. Yeah. So m- any anyone you're working with, that's plenty for them? To, yeah. What do you mean? Cool. Yeah. Um, so before that, you were at um, Vanish. Yes. Quite a bit of a different place. Yes. Um, instead of a sprawling <laughs> acreage of a farm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but it, that was that was when I first met you because yes. while I was cutting up peaches, you were doing all the hard work for the beer that we were doing <laughs> together. <laughs> yep, yep. That was a lot of. I missed. That was a great beer. That was a really fun beer. I lost a lot of sleep on that. But why? Because because Larry, uh, you know, I love Larry to death. He said, 
All right, this beer's got to be perfect for a podcast. I'll be uh, on vacation next week. I'll see. Uh, make sure it's it's perfect. <laughs> like, you know, but no, it was. Um, well, there was that was there was a lot, a lot of just like, man, I got to make this thing shine. You know, well, it was. But, I guess though, more like I I would say, m- me being important didn't count but it, i guess also it was being spotlighted at oh yeah uh beer writing conference uh, yeah, that oh, was completely there's uh, <laughs> so i guess oh, by the way did. we're holding a blogger conference for people from all over the world are be showing up trying this beer no no pressure yeah. no pressure i'm I'll, i won't be available no cell service you know <laughs> you know what though um julia hers uh formerly of the brewers association mm-hmm. did say that was the best beer she had at the can't remember what they called that night but it was mm-hmm. the night where like there was a bunch of different breweries came and oh, tried yeah. a bunch of different beers it was her favorite beer from cool. that night that's so great that's it awesome. did shine awesome awesome it wasn't just my biased opinion that yeah. it was really good a lot of people liked well it. I, I will say one thing about brewing at vanish is it really gave me a chance to like come into my own as a as a brewer and whenever it's like you know they're there were no restrictions on you know if, if you needed something for a beer you you had it you know there was no like i don't know that's a little pricey or or what if we did use this other product because it's a little cheaper it was never anything like that it was like you know no make it the best and and you know we'll talk about how much it costs later <laughs> when that, I, I feel like that's something that more breweries should take note of because if you look at the breweries right now that are just shining totally. that the brewers have that freedom yes like instead of trying to like no we need to make it cheaper or do it this way just letting them to do do it the way they want to to make the product they want and then people sometimes pay obscene amounts of money for that beer oh yeah yeah and that's uh whenever i said we did a whole lot of changes during uh, for at antietam um, coming out of uh, lockdown, and that was one of the things: is guys, I'm going to make some expensive beers, and and we're going to charge money for them, and it's going to cost a lot to make this. And <laughs> and they were like, "All right, sure." And so yeah, we started doing it, and it was you know, then I don't know, it it worked out very well. People were really happy with the product. The owners were happy with the numbers, and. I was happy making people happy. <laughs> Everyone's just happy. Everybody's happy. So, so. There, there wasn't pushback from the local market at that point for having, well, I mean, I guess you probably still had your normal um, beers that they were used to drinking. And then you have also like a more expensive and, premium line. And that's the thing is that we, you know, we're not just the high end, you know, beer producer. We, we make, um, beers for every i make special beers for everybody i make beers on all price points you know all different styles you know i I try to make sure that whenever they come to the tap room it's not like oh i don't like their style of beer i want them to be like oh well i don't like that style of beer but i like that style i'm gonna try to make it to where there's some something for everybody you know where um where were you before vanish uh before vanish i was at big timber in elkins west virginia which unless you've been yeah, like camping out in West Virginia. They are only in West Virginia. Okay. Um, they are either the largest or second largest brewery in West Virginia right now. Um, whenever I was there, they were building their new facility. Um, uh, they were working out of their old facility. But if you go to any 
Walmart or a grocery store in the state of West Virginia, you'll see uh, you'll see their IPA or their porter. Okay. Yeah. There's not a lot of West Virginia beer that makes it out of West Virginia, is there? No, and you know it's West Virginia as a state is a very challenging place to be a brewery in. And some of that is just legislation or lack of rules and laws, but a lot of it, uh, a vast majority of it is, is logistics. I mean, it is a small state, but with all the hills and valleys and turns and roads, I mean, it takes, it's, it's a distance to drive anywhere. I mean, if you consider yeah, it's all, the, most of it's rural. Yeah, so most of it's rural. Yeah. So the markets are really small. You know, you do have your your larger, you know, cities and towns, but those are very far spread out. I mean, a a, a town that's considered next door is like anything within an hour away. You know, <laughs> that's like, oh yeah, they're just down the road. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, we'll just drive over. They're like, well, I mean, it's going to take you an hour. It's like, well, I thought you were next door. Like, yeah, well, that's the next town. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're next door. You know. It's funny how different people's concept of like how far they're willing to drive is by region. Yeah, so exactly. Like, or even, I mean, I guess there, like if you live there, you're mm-hmm. fine with driving that far. But yeah. I feel like people in this area are the same too. Like if you're in Frederick, like the thought of driving an hour to some place to do something is no big deal. You're like, you're going to drive to DC. You're going to drive to Baltimore Yeah. or, but like, so I grew up outside of Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and it's like 20 minutes is the cap of how far people want to drive <laughs> typically for things. Cause I've had like friends who came down to visit and like they name places in Baltimore or dc that they wanted to go to i was like yeah that's close we can go there yeah and then whenever we i'd be telling when we need to leave it would be the same thing it was like i thought you said that was close like yeah you just hop on the highway and it's like 45 minute drive yeah that's not close like no it is it's easy yeah (laughs) whereas whereas if you you know you're a brewery in west virginia in charleston and you're like okay i gotta ship this beer to morgantown they're three hours away yeah. and i gotta ship this beer to you know martinsburg well they're five hours away and like you know to us i mean new york city's closer here than yeah than i mean i live in west virginia i live in the panhandle so but i mean i'm closer to new york city than i am the capital of my own state <laughs> so you know it's, it's i had um i think their original brewery is in west virginia short story brewing yeah, yeah. Uh, my wife was in Deep Creek recently, and she oh, okay. brought me back some of the beer. It was pretty good. I yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah, it's um, uh, yeah, West Virginia very much like any other place. They have a really good brewers community. So like the brewers, they all know each other and they all get along really well. And and it, it you know it's it's they all live much farther apart from each other. But you know, anytime there's a festival, they'll all see each other, and you know that's how they get to know each other i mean yeah. it's still kind of weird there because like uh there's there's very little collaboration because I, I think that they don't know what the law is on collaborations are and stuff like that it's like well if you made it then you made it at your facility and it's not theirs so i was like well they helped us it's like i don't know and it's like there's there's just there's no mechanism to well because it i mean it hasn't been that long since in maryland that it was like in written in law uh how you can handle doing it that way so yes yeah, so that's very makes true. sense that yeah. west virginia if they don't have that like actually no one's made the effort to have that written in the law yes yes let's take um a real quick uh sponsor break and then we get back maybe we'll try some of the those beers you brought out and um actually I, we may as we should talk about how you even got into brewing to begin with we 
talk sure. about right before vanish so we may, let's wind back a little bit further sure uh, so we will be right back uncapped is brought to you by one of frederick's original maryland craft beer destinations located off of urbana pike featuring a warm inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap open seven days a week our friends at roast house pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch happy hour specials delicious dinners and specialty desserts follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners mom's spaghetti dinner battles and what beer is being featured for buck above monday idiom brewing company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes best known for their wide array of ipas delicious fruited sours and robust porters and stouts idiom has a simple goal in mind to bring people from all walks of life together to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, so what, uh, what are you cracking open right there? Um, I, you know, I know you're supposed to drink beers in a certain order, and I'm going to go backwards. <laughs> um, this is Antietam 500, so we brewed this as our 500th brew. It's a hazy dipper, using all of our favorite things. Like I was saying earlier, you know, the idea of just using what you want. And There's all kinds of stuff on the nose with this. Yeah, so this is um, extra pale Maris Otter, uh, Bohemian Floor Malted Pilsen Malt, um, Strata, Idaho 7, some Amarillo. I love them. Amarillo is like my favorite backup singer. Like, I hate single hop Amarillo beers, but anything with Amarillo in it is like, it just really, I think, accentuates all the other things. It's very citrusy. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of grapefruit. Yeah, you get some grapefruit, a little bit of dankness from the strata. Um, That's really nice. I like that. Cool. That's really Thank nice. You. Yeah, it's got a nice smooth mouthfeel on it. So how um, how did you get into brewing? Oh, so um, I got into brewing when I was 19, uh, just turned 19. I realized um, I'd just moved off campus at college and you know i couldn't legally buy beer but i could go buy hops and malt and yeast <laughs> and so i started home brewing um very very early and uh one of my roommates that lived in this house with me he was uh he was english uh richie and um very english of course your name is richard uh but yeah he at the time this is like early mid 90s you know i'm coming out of west central west virginia which is a, a beer desert you know and and he's just telling me all this stuff about english ale and to to this day british beer is 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 you know very strong on my heart because of richie i'm sure but um i think if you know i, I don't know but uh he uh 
he was really influential and in like, oh, no, you got to try this style. Oh, now you got to try to brew one of these. Oh, now you got to try to brew one of these. And I was, you know, brewing old peculiar clones. And and he, he of course, was from the area around Newcastle. So that was the best beer in the world. It's like, oh, <laughs> we even put the, the beer logo on our soccer jersey and stuff like that. And so, football. Yeah, football. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I watched Ted Lasso on Friday. So I know. I know. How to say it properly? Yeah, yeah. I, I can't. <laughs> say, I, I'm horrible at all that stuff. But I tell you, whenever he got drunk, I couldn't understand a word that he said because he's he was from a very working class, and yeah. he would slip out of like the Queen's English and be like, oh, no, I, don't, I, don't. I, "I lost all that, man." My wife and I were in the Dominican Republic, and I can't remember what they asked, but some guy came up and asked us something. And I was about to say, I'm sorry, I only speak English. And <laughs> thankfully, my wife answered him right away because he was from, I think it, she said he was probably Welsh, or, uh, yes. but it was like the thickest accent possible. I thought he was speaking a different language. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So thankfully, she answered him quick I, enough for me not to make a fool of myself. I, I did get really like completely off the beer subject, but from li- living with Richie, um, the, the area around Newcastle, they call the people from there like Geordies. It's a little, a little insulting and call it like Geordie, but, um, that's like the slang term for him. And I was at a bonfire in middle of West Virginia and someone had a friend in from Wales and that, you know, she was talking, I was talking, I was like, you're Welsh. She's like, Oh yeah, I'm Welsh. you are you sure you're Welsh? And like, yeah, 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 Welsh. And, like, and then, like, after about 20 minutes, I'm like, you know, you say you're Welsh, but you talk like a Geordie. And she goes, oh, my God, I moved out of Newcastle when I was 12. How did you? Like, and it, she was hilarious. getting called out in the middle of West Virginia <laughs> by some redneck kid, you know. It was, but uh, that was my one, like, claim to fame as far as, like, like languages go. <laughs> That's funny. Um, where, where did you go to school? Uh, so I went to Shepherd College. Okay. Yeah. So I uh, grew up around Charleston. Um, deep in the state and uh, my dad worked at Union Carbide you know true West Virginian like, <laughs> like, I don't know I, I thought I didn't realize till I came back from college that like giant chemical plants everywhere burning green flames was unusual I was like God, this is weird I didn't realize this wasn't just the world <laughs> I thought this is what every town was like yeah yeah but um what uh, did you go to school for uh, you know, I never knew what I wanted to, uh. to do. I, I just kept making beer and changing majors. I studied uh, sociology. I studied economics. I studied fine arts for a bit. Um, and just eventually, if you go to school long enough, they give you a degree and tell you not to come back. And, and that's, <laughs> that's what I did. So I got a, a Regents Bachelor's of Arts degree, having no idea what I was going to do the whole time making beer. Yeah. And uh, I worked at Ed's Beer and Wine in Shepherdstown the whole time. Um, because you know they, they that was like the place to go if you wanted to drink beer um so i was a bartender there uh i met daniel Marsluft, who is a um good friend of mine and he got me my first job at mountaineer brewing company because he liked my homebrew so much and and the rest is history yeah, that's that started my brewing career so how how long were you were you like cellaring there or assistant or even further down the totem pole? I started off putting the beer in the box. Um, <laughs> I it was right before the housing bubble. Before then, I was a carpenter. Um, and I, you know, started off on the, on the canning line or the bottling line. And um, 
just went from there. They got a new packaging manager. I thought it was going to be me. It wasn't me, so I got to train my boss how to do his job. <laughs> but the second time around, after after he left, I finally got able to move up into that position. And from there, I went into like uh, assistant brewer position and cellarman, and and uh, then eventually the recession hit and the brew went out of business. Uh, I spent a little bit of time as a draft technician for a distributor. That was, that was fun. Got to go to, um, uh, draft training in, in, uh, Florida and Tampa, uh, and through Perlick and then got to go through advanced draft training at Golden, Colorado with cores. That was neat. Well, um, has that been helpful for you too, though? Like to learn that, that end of the line it's been really helpful it's uh having worked for a distributor i understand the distribution process pretty well um and also just having those little technical skills being able to like troubleshoot things and stuff like that i remember one of the first things i did as soon as i went to vanish was i i saw their draft line and they had a guy whose job was just to change kegs because they went through so much beer well i i ran them all in series so that one tap would be hooked up to, you know, four kegs. And suddenly, I mean, I obsoleted some guy's job, but that's okay because he didn't want to do that anymore anyway. Yeah. <laughs> He's getting pretty tired of changing kegs. So, um, but no, the, the, the uh, front of the house managers were just like, oh, this is great. Because, you know, whenever those t- kegs kick, it just everything stops for yeah. that five minutes. And oh, so does it also allow you to just change, like, you just re- change one, but the rest of them keep flowing while... Well, the idea is, is it? you reset them all at the beginning of your shift, and okay. then you don't run out. And and then the next morning, you go in, you reset the whole line, and then you just run. And, and you know, it's little things like that that just, you know, have made it been useful, definitely. What well, is probably completely boring to anyone listening yeah um sorry would flow i'm the one who keeps diving into it further <laughs> uh it's not your fault it's mine um will it flow from all four kegs at the same time or is it like draw from them in series yeah or? it draws in series so one keg will be filling the other keg as it empties okay yeah it's pretty neat how it works so the last one in the row gets emptied first or the yep. first one gets emptied first yep the last one gets emptied first and this is really really just some snooze material for your listeners but but then you'll t- if you go to reset it you take your partial put it at the very end and then put full ones in between there okay so you've always got beer going into a full beer huh i i've never thought about that for, and there's no reason for me yeah, to but I, it's I, like it's it's st- something I never would have <laughs> thought you could do. <laughs> I stole the idea. Um, that's what they do at the casino in Charlestown. Okay. So the the free beer that you get is really just like a whole bunch of natty light kegs all connected together. <laughs> so, I mean, if they didn't do that, then they'd be, have to have a guy just standing there. You know, just constantly, constantly changing, changing the, it. So was, which, at Vanish, if no one's ever been, is on the weekends, pretty yeah. close to the same yes. environment where it's just a ton of people getting a ton of beer so probably before that he was just back there changing cakes constantly constantly yeah that had to be like a life-changing experience for them when you came and taught them that the front of the house manager was ecstatic did you get a hug out of it i i I think i did yes (laughs) i think i did it was a big hug too like a bear hug and i wanted this little like oh thanks guy pat on the back no he was you could tell he meant it (laughs) (laughs) um so, so you you were at Mountaineer, 
um, worked at a distributor for a little while, mm-hmm. and then then was, went into Big Timber. Okay, yeah. and it was funny. I was because I was uh, I was the the draft technician for the distributor, so I wasn't supposed to be the sales guy, but I also knew way more about beer than any of the salesmen. Uh, well, craft beer particularly. Yeah. I mean, mostly this this was a Coors house, so they would you know Coors, Sam Adams, you know Heineken. That's what the salesmen generally focused on. But anytime a small brewery come in, they'd be like, "Aaron, go talk to him. Go talk to him." <laughs> like, "Oh, hey, what's up? You know, hey, hey what are you doing? Uh, used to work at this brewery. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and let's start a dialogue and and uh, yeah. It, whenever I, I I left the distributor, I didn't really have any plans. I just kind of got burnt out on 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 being in the distribution world because it's it's a it is a lot of work. And uh, so I, I put in my two weeks, and and I had a already lined up a tap takeover with Big Timber, uh, and you know they came up to me and was like, hey, so I heard you're leaving. I'm like, yeah, sorry guys, I'm not going to be your rep anymore. You know, I'm like, well, cool, you want to brew? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, more than anything, I want to brew. <laughs> you know, so, and I, I, you know, I looked around whenever I Mountaineer went out of business, there were like three or four other breweries in the entire state. And I was like, well, that was fun. Oh, well, you know, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't feel like, you know, going down to flying dog and work third shift, you know, as, you know, and nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and I know so many good brewers that came out of flying dog, but I, it wasn't something I felt like doing. And, and, yeah. and I was just like, well, that was a fun career. But then like all of a sudden, not too long after the recession ended, you turn around and look and there's breweries all over the place. And I'm like, shit, there's breweries everywhere. And they're like, and I have experience. Whoa, cool. I'm marketable. <laughs> yeah. You know, I might be able to get a job. So how, how did you end up at Vanish then? Um, so I met a girl <laughs> and, uh, and she lived in Shepherdstown and, uh, we we're married today, but, um, I was at the time, splitting my time between uh, Elkins, West Virginia, and Shepherdstown, and I wanted something a little closer. So um, I know Larry from back in the day, and I was like, just reached out to Larry. He's like, hey, if you're ever looking for help, I'm trying to kind of be in this area. And, you know, he called me up and said, we're growing, we need help. And then, yeah. That's that's how how I got started at Vanish. Just, and I w- I would assume no matter how much you knew going into that, you were still able to learn a lot from Larry. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that man is a font of knowledge. Uh, like I said, the, the the amount that I learned, the amount that I was able to flourish as a brewer at Vanish was was really impressive. And and it wasn't just just his knowledge. It was like. Um, you know his also his his mentality and the, the way that he thought about things and approached things it was like uh you know i started working for him you know first couple of days i'm like um so okay i'm gonna clean this fermenter you know how do you want me to clean the fermenter i know most brewers are pretty particular and he's like well you, you know how to clean fermenter right and i'm like yeah and he's like you, there's lots of different ways to clean a fermenter and i'm like well, yeah, you know, I cleaned them this way at this brewery and cleaned them this way at this brewery and this brewery one I'm cleaning. It's like, it's like, I don't care how they're cleaned as long as they're clean. <laughs> and I was like, just, just clean the fermenter. And I'm like, 
oh, okay, yeah, I can clean that for a minute. Yeah, sure. You know, and, and it's cool because that actually leads to innovation because then, you, like, you're cleaning it for a minute. You look over this other guy's cleaning it. Oh, that's neat how he's doing that. And, you know, oh, check out this new technique I found where you can just, you know, finagle your draft or your tap or keg filling lines into it and and, and get everything done all at once. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, as much as everything had to be completely perfect, how you got to perfection wasn't really that important. As long as it was, you know, in a timely fashion and it got the job done. That's I mean, that's actually refreshing because there's nothing more annoying than being micromanaged. Yeah. It's like if I can get to where you want me to be, who cares how I get to there? Just let me let me provide you with what you want. Yes. Yeah. And then there were times whenever we were working there where we kind of joke between like uh, uh, BJ and Larry and I, it's like we have more years of brewing experience than our average age of our bar staff. <laughs> but um, no, it was, it was great because there was a lot of just uh, task-oriented, not micromanagement-oriented kind of activities. And anytime you wanted to know anything or needed to learn anything, um, you know, Larry was always there to help you or show you or teach you, you know. Let's take um, one more quick sponsor break and we get back. We can crack into one of these other beers and then um, so we'll just we'll talk about uh, your philosophy on what types of beers you like to make, um, what you're making and all that good stuff. So we'll be right back. I buy my beer at District East in downtown Frederick, Maryland. They have an amazing selection of local and hard-to-find beers, and I love the option of making my own mix-and-match custom six-pack. District East is on Northeast Street in Frederick, in the same shopping center as Showroom Restaurant and Rockwell Brewery. Most weeks, they have over 950 beers in stock. Check out this week's selection at www.districteastbeer.com. To all you craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries out there, listen up. Atlantic Custom Solutions is the real deal in providing you branded growlers, ceramics, glassware, and accessories like koozies, coasters, and keychains. Their high-definition digital printing, organic ink, and low-fire process ensures your brand is printed in ultra-high definition, giving you a one-up on the competition. We've used Atlantic Custom Solutions for uncapped branded glassware and couldn't be happier with it. Check them out. Visit www.brandmybeverage.com or give them a call at 434-286-4500 to learn more about how they can help you brand your business. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. All right, what are we trying now? All right, so this is Blue My Cool. It is a cold IPA. Now, a lot of people are sort of up in arms about this style, which is kind of why I named it Blue My Cool, because all these people are just really mad about it, which I think is funny. People take beer too seriously sometimes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it is technically a lager, so I guess that name IPA pisses people off. But, um, 
but it's it's different than a regular IPL. And IPL is sort of like a cross between a lager and a West Coast. This is more like a cross between like a hazy and yeah. and a um, and a lager. In that, it's the the hops are much more modern. The hops are all, all heavily heavily cold side. Um, and the idea is that with the yeast and and malt character, you really want to minimize that so that all you're getting is just mostly like the hop. So this is really good. I like this. Cool. And it was fun. The last time there was um, people trying to make a new IPA, and it was brute IPAs. Oh yeah. Every one I tried tasted completely different from the other, so I had no idea what yeah. brute IPAs were supposed to taste like. At least now I know what a cold IPA is supposed to be because this is it's not exactly the same but it's very similar to full tilts okay and cool. theirs was um uh cold IPAs are just IPLs changed my mind oh that's a great name yeah yeah I, I in fact I I on on tap this is labeled as an IPL just because I'm like I'm playing both sides of the argument here um but but flavor profile wise it both of them are so you either both got it wrong, <laughs> or, but more more likely you both got what the style is supposed to taste like. So now I actually know what an IP or a cold IPA is supposed to taste like. It's good. Cool. Yeah. No, it's um, and you know, whenever it's really hot out, like it has been, I find it to be really refreshing. Like because it's 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 really light on the body and it doesn't taste like seven point four percent. I mean, you could just accidentally crush a few of these and have to go take a nap. But I mean, it's it's. Uh, I even used cryo um, mosaic and uh, Citra T forty fives, just trying to get the hop character itself very very clean. You know, I'm um I'm not sure if this is a style it's going to catch on though. Ah, I don't think it will either. It, it require. I mean, it tastes too much like something else that people already know, mm-hmm. and it takes too much explaining. Of oh what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of what it is, so yeah. I I feel like it's going to be one of those things like. A bunch of breweries will brew one as a novelty, and then it'll go away, just like the Brute IPA. I'm I'm completely with you 100%. But that being said, the fr- I've, as soon as I found out about this style, by the end of the day, I had it completely researched and like all the materials ordered and everything, because I'm the kind of guy that if there's anything that tastes even something new or something different, I want to experience it, because that's, that's what makes me excited yeah. Like as a beer drinker, is trying something and being like, oh wow that's completely different or that's new or i haven't had it in that combination before and it's not i mean not necessarily like oh, okay well we'll add marshmallow and ginger and chocolate and you know it's like adding more stuff's cool but like trying something different you know I, i'm into that too so um when you were at vanish is that was that your first introduction of like brewing completely outside of the box type beers because vanish really early on made its name for that i would say i will say yes definitely and i was i i loved it because that's that's where i would be like the one being like hey guys let's do this and then like (laughs) just like these completely ridiculously stupid ideas and they're like no and if you keep talking about this we're going to fire you (laughs) you know but um but i i thought it was you know, I the freedom of just being that experimental was. I mean, I, I made a, a blonde, a Belgian blonde with beets in it. It was the beet blonde ale, and and it was just the color was beautiful. It was one of the prettiest beers I've ever seen. It looked uh-huh. like blood red, but and and if you liked beets, 
you'd walk, oh man, that's so good. But if you did not like beats, oh, it was not for you at all, you know. And but it's, that's that's the point of of experimenting and doing stuff like that. It's those few people you do touch, you know. Yeah, I always kind of pictured it there as like Larry just running around grabbing stuff, like randomly throwing it into <laughs> <laughs> into the fermenters to see what stuff would taste like. No, he's, he's obviously way more calculated than that. Yeah, no, he's um his big philosophy was actually listen to the beer. And let the beer tell you what to do. And he did have an entire toolbox full of so many flavorings and this and that, and just like ran in case he needed it, you know. And he also he had a, he has a strong culinary background. Yes, that he pulls from. Yeah, for I've met a number of brewers. Uh, uh, my my shift brewer um, Brett he used to teach at the culinary uh, see it. CIA, Culinary Institute of America. Okay. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of people with uh, strong culinary fields that came up uh, to the brewing world. So, I would, in from from an outside perspective, it seems like that philosophy you have fully brought to Antietam at this point. Yeah, I hope so. Because I, mean, um, I would yeah. say pre AA Ron, mm-hmm. uh, there was it was mostly classic styles. And there wasn't a lot of, and for lack of a better word, we'll say hype brewing. Yeah. And then, but recently there's been a lot more of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, uh, one of the reasons I actually hired Brett is because Brett is a very traditional brewer. And whenever I was up here by myself brewing, um, you know, I knew that I had crazy weird ideas and shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't pull the trigger on Maybe those not projects act on everything. Yeah, it, so I felt that I felt that I was like restraining myself more than I should be, and I was like, "Well, I'll just hire someone who's traditional, and hey, he can tell me I'm being stupid. That way, I can go ahead and like just do ridiculous things, <laughs> you know." Because I'm gonna be like, "No, that's stupid." I'm like, hey, but I'm in charge. I'm still gonna do it, you know. <laughs> but um, no, it was um, I think there's a really good to have all that balance, and there's you know it. You know, Picasso can paint like Picasso, but if he doesn't have that classical training behind it, then then it's not quite as impressive, you know. That, but yeah, no, experimentation's great, I think. So, do you have plans to get into like the heavily fruited sours? I and mean, you've already done plenty of hazies, so you're doing that, obviously, but. Um, I'm not going into the two heavily fruited sours and, uh, a lot of that is just, um, uh, a logistical thing. Uh, this, Antium has been around for a while. The brand is not known for heavily fruited sours or yes, the they ones. probably just, even if they were phenomenal, they probably wouldn't sell. Well, Cause it, uh, like you, like. I'm more or they would eventually, but it's not like breweries that are known for those are able to sell them quickly. Yes. If if and you just came out with one, people would probably even though it would taste great, people are like oh, Antinum doesn't brew that style of beer. I'm not going to try that. It, you know, it would be a combination of that. It would also be like a well, I've never had to put your beer in a refrigerator before, and now it just exploded all over the place, you know, like like I, I you know, I I think going from beer that needs special treatment or beer that's shelf stable to beer that needs special treatment in a market as as large as the market that we're in right now would be a a, a difficult and possibly yeah. dangerous move uh, at least as far as like not pissing off a bunch of stores that suddenly have exploded raspberry stuff everywhere you know what um 
beer I loved. This is the way. Oh, that was a good one. That was. You should make that again, unless yeah. you got a cease and desist. We did but not. I'm kind of surprised. Well, we used original artwork, so yeah. That I think that makes a big difference. And surprisingly, people get away a lot with Star Wars references on beers unless you're serious the cereal companies and the the juice companies like the fruit juice companies they seem to be the really ones that don't like yeah. you taking their IP. nintendo has started lately too nintendo was like the safe one for the longest time but yeah. there's there's a few breweries at this point that have gotten seasoned assists i can from see nintendo. that well i feel like they were heavily borrowed from yeah <laughs> So maybe there's a um, Nintendo brewery opening. Who knows? Yeah, there could be. Yeah, there could be. Um, but you should make this as a way again because that beer was phenomenal. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be nice. Uh, the collaboration we did with Homemade turned out really good too. I'll, I'll give you some of that okay. um, whenever you leave. But it was a, a beer to Mars brewed with cardamom and rose hips. And, man, I just love that beer. It, it, again, it, a little too weird for most people. Um, I find that the beers that I really, really like are just a little too weird for most people. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I still continue to make them and, and hope that they sell eventually or somewhat. <laughs> what What is your favorite style or what is your favorite um, like adjunct or something to work with? Because that's two questions. So you can uh. answer either either of them or both of them. Your dealer's your or huh. dealer's choice doesn't make sense. Very your pick. People ask me uh, favorite style or favorite beer all the time, and I will tell you, um, my st- answer for years has been: there's good and bad examples of every style, and my ex- my example of that is, um, so. I'm I, I I make a brown ale, but I'm not really that big on brown ales. Um, I've drank a lot of them. Sorry, Richie. I know Newcastle, whatever. But, um, <laughs> you know, I was in Tampa for that draft training drinking um, the Maduro by Cigar City, their brown ale. And it's just like, it's like 85 degrees out and hot and sunny. And like, I'm sitting there drinking a brown ale and going, man, this is great. So I'm... M- Sometimes I mean, you give me a Flanders Red, I'm probably gonna like it. If it's too sweet, I'm gonna hate it. But if it's if it's a true Flanders Red, easy sell. I'm gonna be like, spot on, great. Let's drink three or four of these, you know. But a style that I'm not not generally favor. If someone presents me a really great example of it, it it'll blow blow me out of the water. I mean, sometimes that's whenever you're really just the most pleasantly surprised. I meant more like, what's your favorite style to brew? Oh, to like brew, a, yeah. Like what if you say my specialty is? I'm, I see. That's where I go across the board. Like I'm kind of like all over the place. Okay. Um, I make a lot of hazies because that's what does really well in distribution. Um, I do fruited sours. I love sours. Um, I love all kinds of sours. Um, I would love to do mixed culture more. I did a lot of mixed culture at Vanish. That was one of the questions. Whenever they were hiring me, they said. So, uh, we've asked you a lot of questions. Is there something you want to ask us? And I'm like, yes, if I work here, can I do a mixed culture beer to guard? And they're like, yes, you can. And I'm like, sweet. All right, <laughs> I'll take the job then. Yeah. You know. When can I start? Yeah, but um, like, you know, it just, that's not a good fit for Antietam. It's not what Antietam is doing at the moment. Maybe yeah. as we grow, eventually we'll get to be able to have a, a, 
a sour program. Right now, I'm I'm interested in starting a wood program here. Hopefully, this winter, and start doing some more barrel aged stuff. But um, but I mean, I'm my favorite style to brew is something I haven't had like this. Uh, you know, the cold IPA, like that. Uh, Whatever the next beer thing to Mars. Is. Like I, I did a, a chocolate Dunkelweizen because I've always wanted to do a chocolate Dunkelweizen didn't sell very well but it, you know the brewers i gave it to were like oh this is great and there's always this joke where your favorite beer is the slowest one moving on tap if you're a brewer um that so does I, seem to be the trend yeah yeah <laughs> so i try not to brew too much of what i want to brew i do you know squeeze stuff in here and there i did like an all rye version of an unfruited berliner vice and people are like there's no fruit in this sour and i'm like ah, yeah but that way you can taste the rye you know yeah that's um every time like a someone at a brewery like bemoans that they're gonna have to make a seltzer or something like that i just like but do you like money yeah (laughs) yeah and if you if you make the stuff that sells then you get to make the stuff that you want to also exactly you gotta do do all of it you know and it's it's funny guy uh I had a brewery say, hey, let's do a collab. Let's do something crazy off the wall. And I'm like, I gotcha, man. Let's do a Mango Poblano Lichtenheiner. And they're like, too crazy. Don't want to do it. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. It would, it would, it would taste really good, but. Uh, Maybe dial back a little bit, Aaron. Dial, yeah. Like, you know, that's, that's no, no one will even know what that is, you know. So. And that that seems to be um, something else that you're doing more and more of at with Antietam is doing collaborations with other breweries. Yeah, I I like collaborations. Um, um, I think it's really fun to get together with um, other breweries and like kick around ideas, come up with a plan. Um, I think that generally it, it lends to. I mean, there's there's I'm sure there's collaborations out there which just like let's throw this together and it'll have both our names on it. We'll make a lot of money. But I, I think that there's also a lot of things, you know, it'd be really cool if we did this. And like, you know, some of the collaborations I pulled off, like, like for example, this is the way I knew if I made that beer by myself and just put Antietam's name on it, that it wouldn't be nearly as well received as if I, you know, had vanish there with me and, and, and you know larry put in some really great input to it um into you know for one make it an imperial pilsner because well imperial because that's empire and everything but then like you know just you know there there was a lot of like back and forth and and we just ended up with a perfect name the perfect artwork it dropped right whenever season two of the mandalorian was coming along but the whole real idea was this is the way look look it's a pilsner this is how brewers should make even if you're a hype brewery this is just a really cool well done pilsner with a modern twist this is the way this is how this is how we want to brew beer you know so like and and larry really really grabbed onto that concept and just you know and and as a result the beer was great um what 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 is one brewery that you would love to do a collab with that you haven't even talked to at all yet um, like an aspirational collaboration. I don't, I don't know. Um, honestly, uh, every collaboration I've done has been cause me and another brewer got together, had a few beers and we're like, yeah, this is cool. We can't get along great. Hey, you know, we should make a beer. So as far as like any brewery, I haven't made a collaboration with I think it's just cause I haven't had a couple beers with whatever that brewer is, you know? Gotcha. So, I mean, if it's a, 
you know, I, 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 it, it's hard for me to say it because it, it could happen next week. And then we go, oh, I was hanging out with this guy and yeah. you know, now, now we're making a collab. And so, so you touched on, um, huge expansion of the indoor tap room itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and a tremendous increase of your outdoor seating. Oh, what other, um, exciting things does we built them have going on we built an outdoor kitchen so we p- took a big carport and we turned it into an outdoor kitchen it's got a 15 with a garage door you roll up to a 15 foot smoker on the back and george is our executive chef he makes the amazing barbecue his smoked wings are awesome so i mean the food's really good um i we have tripled our outdoor seating um I just see, you know, lots of good things coming. We've had two cellar expansions in the last year and a half. Um, uh, the indoor tap, the indoor taps area is expanding up another fifty percent. Um, I hope to start a wood program this this winter. Um, yeah, we're just slowly, slowly getting there, slowly making it, slowly growing and growing, trying to provide something that whenever people show up, you know, it's like. Oh, sweet. Yeah, cool. And they're glad to be here. You know, family friendly, dog friendly, everything. Um, what uh, what beers do you have coming up around the corner that you're excited about? Uh, let me see. I've got a... Um, I just released Kolsch that I'm excited about. Um, uh, we have an Oktoberfest we do every year. That's always fun. Uh, I've got an Imperial Black IPA on the books. Um, a Dragon Fruit prickly pear uh sour which is going to be pretty fun i love prickly pear and beer yeah yeah and gosh with the dragon fruit this beer is going to be the prettiest beer it's going to be like red nice i hope and i just announced it so it better be red <laughs> um and then uh i've got a couple hazies coming out um other than that uh we'll see i i want to start doing um more loggers so i think you're gonna see more and not just pilsners but i think you're gonna start seeing more like uh doppelbox or or even uh amber loggers or i don't know I haven't, I haven't completely formulated that plan yet but um but i i'm, I'm getting I, i've now got the tank space to where i'm able to like have a little cushion for for those styles so i'm nice. excited about it um, are, so you, you had mentioned contract brewing. Are you still doing a lot of that or? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and a lot of that is just cause, uh, whenever I, I came to Antietam, like the plan was to be this big regional brewery and, and, you know, sell to all these states and stuff and, you know, have this massive core line and all this other stuff. I mean, it was a, it was a little bit antiquated design and, um, but we had all the tanks and everything. The thing is, if you have a 15-barrel system, you, you, that's not big anymore. Yeah. That's just, a, it's a good size system, but it's not like regional brewery system. It's not like I'm brewing in the 60s, you know. Yeah. So it was, uh, and it kind of started whenever I was at Vanish, you know, uh, Daniel, who I mentioned got me into this business, he was running Antietam at the time. And, um, you know, we were having trouble keeping up with production and I, I said to Larry, I was like, hey, uh, we call Daniel up and see if he's got some extra tanks and help us out keeping up, you know, because we're getting, we're getting 
we need beer. <laughs> yeah. And um and so he said yeah and then yeah, there's just I think a really good market for small craft um like contract brewing. People know that you come from that part of the industry, people that want a 15 barrel batch. It's so hard to contract a 15 barrel batch. Yeah, most places yeah. have much larger minimums. Oh yeah, yeah. And we'll do 15s, we do 30s and it's and it's something that's real hands-on um and and there's breweries that we've been working with since I got here that have since, you know, they, they have a three and a half barrel system, but now they've got a 20 barrel system. And, and you know, I'm sad that they're not going to be my clients anymore. But, you know, I'm really glad that I was that bridge that helped them get yeah. there, you know. And and like I said, it's, it is all very much about being in the community. So um, and not only that, but, you know nothing against distributors i love distributors i love all our distributors our distributors are great but um whenever you make a batch of beer for a brewery um well one it's it's right out the door you know yeah. they've got it you yeah. know and, and two like their their quality control is is they're gonna pay you know they're gonna take care of that beer you know whenever you send it out and market and it and it's not not anything any you know distributors intentionally do but you lose all control yeah you know and you lose all and you know and then you see like you're looking at on tapped and you see like this really horribly oxidized ipa that you released like two years ago (laughs) and you're like where did they even find that and yeah i agree with you it should add you know it should be a two um if twos might be generous at this age and that that beer's life but um you know, so it's 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 different whenever you're handing the beer off to another brewer. Yeah. You know, so. All right, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me out, Chris. And, I'm really glad you came out and uh, making me positive. I know what a cold IPA is supposed <laughs> to taste like now, and yours is absolutely delicious. Actually, we didn't try the last one, but uh, we don't need to. Yeah. Um, two beers is good for an afternoon. Well, yeah, definitely. Um. But thank you so much for having me out. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Chris, thank you. Definitely. Awesome. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh, my God. That's good.